Welcome to the Thursday Talk with a Coder and a Clinician. Today I am joined by Sonia Garza. Sonia has been in the revenue cycle business for 15 plus years. Through her tenure, she has performed a series of roles starting her career out as a medical assistant. She quickly realized the importance of the revenue cycle and its processes. She has held positions as a collector, a biller, revenue cycle analytics specialist, and a revenue cycle director or manager. She enjoys spending time with her family when she is not knee-deep in policy and regulations. So, Sonia, thank you for joining us today. We are going to be talking about the importance of maintaining a healthy revenue cycle. And I know this is something that you know a lot about. Since the pandemic began, many of the groups out there have struggled with maintaining a healthy revenue cycle. And so before we get started, I just want to go over what is a healthy revenue cycle and why are so many groups struggling, struggling with this seemingly easy process. What's interesting is a recent HFMA article states that the healthcare revenue cycle is the lifeblood of any hospital or health system. It compromises all the activities that lead to payment for services provided, from patient registration to verification of benefits to care delivery, claim submission, and reimbursement. It also requires organizations and communication on multiple levels for success. So an efficient and effective revenue cycle management is key to your survival. It directly impacts the group's ability to contribute to health and well-being of its community. Did you know that the most common challenges for groups boil down to four basic things? The first one is billing and collection errors, lack of technology, untrained staff, or absence of financial policies and metrics. So with those things in mind, Sonia, I'd like to kind of ask you a couple of questions um, because you are currently working uh, in revenue cycle and you're seeing a lot of the things that have happened since the pandemic started. So I'm hoping that you can give us some insight as to what exactly is going on. So the first question I have for you is, what do you think is contributing to groups carrying a higher than normal AR balance today? Um, I'm gonna say probably ever since the pandemic, probably the lack of expertise. Um, you know, we've had staffing issues pretty much, you know, anywhere you go, any health system that you go to, you're going to have some staffing issues. So with along that, with that comes, you know, people who don't understand fully how to do everything from beginning to end. So, um, you know, if claim denies, they come to a crossroad, well, what do I do? I've never experienced this before because they're really, you know, a lot of businesses are hiring people pretty much off the street because they need somebody to fill that seat. So it is a lack of expertise um, along with the staffing issues. Um, and even with those who don't have any staffing issues or haven't you know, had to see any of those problems, um, not staying up to date with payer, you know, um, is, or payer updates. So you know, everything happens usually at the new fiscal year. So you really need to make sure that you're part of your payers newsletters and see what's going, what new rules have they passed? 
Um, a lot of uh, insurances follow suit with Medicare. So if Medicare comes out with a new rule, eventually the other payers will start to follow suit. So just really keeping up with, with what's going on, um, you know, go to conferences, do whatever you can, listen to podcasts, try to understand what's happening. But uh, those are probably one of the biggest things that I'm seeing is because, like I said, people were just so willing to put somebody in that seat to fill it. They, you know, maybe weren't trained properly or they didn't have the, the background to take care of these denials. So you mentioned um, staffing challenges. What has mm-hmm. led to all of these staffing challenges that people are facing across um, the revenue cycle industry? Well, some uh, companies or, you know, healthcare systems, they aren't ready to move to the new age of things. So a lot of, you know, places are now remote. You know, a lot of job positions are remote and some healthcare systems, they kind of want to stay old fashioned. They want everybody, you know, in-house, which is great, you know, if it works for you, but, you know, a lot of people are willing to go to other jobs that are doing remote, you know, work there. Um, It's easier for people. People seem to enjoy it a lot better to work from home. Um, You know, there's there's an increase of work for a lot of companies because their employees are now happy working from home. Um, You know, they save money by working from home, Um, not having to travel, not having to take tolls, not having to put gas in their car, not having to pay for lunch. So, you know, they're seeing, you know, a rise in their money per se because they're not spending as much as they are going, you know, on site. So, a lot of companies really need to, you know, weigh the pros and cons whenever they're deciding. Like I said, I understand that, you know, some companies want to see faces. They want they actually want to see their team, which is fine. But, you know, there's ways around that that we, you know, currently do for ours. We make sure that we have weekly meetings with our team and they're face to face, cameras on. Everybody has to see each other. Um, staying, you know, really close with your team still it doesn't mean that you have to see them face to face. You still can remote wise. But, um you really need to pretty much, like I said, kind of move with the times. This is the way things are now. Um, and really at least consider, you know, having your team work from home. Yeah, the pandemic really made it so a lot of people enjoy working from home. They feel like they're more productive. They get that extra hour of commute time where they're actually able to work. Yes, absolutely. So with the revenue cycle um, process, you know, there's a lot of talk about that initial registration and how that initial registration can cause all sorts of issues down the road. Mm-hmm. What do you, or what have you seen around the registration process that has created some revenue cycle challenges on the back end? So it all begins in registration. It really does. And it can have this trickle down effect. Uh, If registration isn't getting correct and updated information, then we're going to see it on the back end. So if we have an outdated subscriber ID or the patient doesn't even have that insurance anymore, that's going to cause an issue down the line. We're going to get the rejection or denial from the insurance saying, hey, this member is no longer covered under us. So that's more days that's that you're going to you have to wait to get paid because now you have to reach out to the patient and get the correct information. Um, and then once you change it in the system, then you have to send it out and then you have to wait for that insurance to process. So registration definitely needs to make sure that they're doing their due diligence. I can understand that sometimes you care so much for the patient that you're really just listening to them. 
um, or because, you know, some people come to registration, some patients come to registration, they kind of tell you, they want to tell you their life story. And that's great that you can be the face of the company because you really are the face of the company. You're the first person and usually the last person the patient sees. So you definitely want to have that, you know, uh, I guess that that one on one, if you will, with the patient. Mm -hmm. But you also have to remember that, hey, what you're putting into the system is could affect, you know, down the road. It's, it's a, the trip, the, the trickle down effect. And it can affect your AR because you aren't getting the correct information or you're putting it in wrong just completely. So um, which is another reason that your back end team definitely needs to make sure they're communing with the front end. So are there times of the year where you tend to see more registration issues and problems than other times of the year? Probably. Um, during the summer is probably going to be one of the big ones because that's whenever, you know, patients, um, they're out of school. It, you know, if they're kids, they're out of school. Um, parents, maybe that that's whenever they want to schedule any surgeries or anything that they're having. Same thing for the kids. So you're definitely going to see an influx of more patients. So the, the more volume, probably the more registration errors you're going to have. So, um, you know, you probably see less of it at the beginning of the year only because, you know, deductibles reset. So not too many patients are going into the doctor or having their surgeries done. Um, that's another thing that you need to keep an eye on is when your high points are and when your low points are for patient volume. Um, so that way you can kind of prepare and you can kind of tell your team, hey, this is the time that we start seeing more patients. So you need to keep your eye on what you're doing and, you know, be really careful um, when you're putting in information in the system. So talking about systems, can a billing system be a contributing factor to poor collections for your group? Absolutely. Definitely. Um, your billing system should work for you, not the other way around. So it should be able to streamline your processes that you have for your team. Um, it should be able to pull accurate reports. Um, it should be able to do everything that you need in order to run your revenue cycle. If it can't do any of the basic, you know, um, duties, then you really need to start shopping around for another billing system. Your billing system shouldn't make your your work harder for you. Um, it needs to make it a lot easier. Um, also, you need to understand what your billing system can do. You know, some people have so many you know applications with their billing system that they're not even aware of. So be sure that you know everything that your billing system can do. That way it can help you and your team down the road. Yeah, it's not necessarily buying the cheapest billing system or the most expensive billing system. It's more finding the one that functions best for you. Absolutely. So on, on that note, what do you think groups should do to make sure that their billing software is functioning at the highest capacity for them? Quarterly audits for your billing system. Definitely. You need to make sure that you're tracking any variances and trends um, that you're seeing in any of your payments. If you're starting to see that, you know, one of your payers like Cigna is, you know, not paying this CPT or, but you haven't expected in your system, you need to go in there and say, oh, you know, the, I need to update the system because we shouldn't have an expected for that, for that CPT. It's not even covered under that, you know, under that payer. So keeping track of all of your variances and trends, that's going to be a big one. Um, make sure that your IT team is also um, doing system updates whenever they're available for your, your billing system. That's a probably a huge one. And I think it's really important that groups that are going into a new billing system, that they get the right people in place to make sure that 
every functionality or every programming piece needs to be done to that highest level, that you have the right CPT codes in place, you have the right fee schedules lined up, you've got your NDC codes all ready to go. Just because if you miss any of those key portions, your claim ultimately cannot even go past the clearinghouse level. Very true. Yes, very true. So on this same note, um, do you really feel it's important to have qualified people working your AR and your claims and in your billing systems to see success? That's a yes and no answer. You always want to have people who have a background in doing what you're doing. That way, you know, you don't have to spend too much tra time training. You basically are just training them on your system and how your company does things. Um, the other thing is, as long if, if you pull somebody who doesn't really have too much of a background in it, as long as you have qualified trainers and have, you know, procedures and processes in place that are easy to follow and you bring somebody on who's willing to, you know, take on that role, then you're, you really can set up a team for success. So I, I've seen the pros and cons about hiring somebody who's had 20 years experience and been doing it, you know, for, you know, half of their life. And, you know, that's great. But sometimes I've bring, brought people onto the team that had zero experience and they ended up being better um, and more qualified than those who've been doing it for 20 years. So you really need to make sure you have, you know, a qualified trainer in place if you're going to hire somebody who doesn't have any experience doing what you're doing. So you actually mentioned policies and procedures and why those policies and procedures are so important to making sure that revenue cycle stays on track. With policy and procedures, is it important to have those already identified and lined up before you start the AR process? Yes, definitely. You're always going to come across situations that you've never been into before. And then that's kind of where you can, you know, cross that bridge when you get to it. But you pretty you need policies and procedures that um, the team can, you know, they have guidance on what to do next. Um, especially if you want everybody on the same page, you don't want, you know, if you have a team of 20 people, you don't want 20 different ways to, to do it. And everybody, you know, isn't on the same page because you might come up with different results. So you really need to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Hey, this is what we do in this situation. And like I said, you can't, you know, you can't plan for everything, but, um, you definitely need to make sure that everybody knows, you know, or at least who to go to if they ever come to a situation they've never come across. Yeah, that's really important that there's key identifiers as to when you come across this scenario, this is how you handle it. For all the years that you've worked in Revenue Cycle, are there any metrics that you feel are better for a group to start tracking so they can really assess and see where they're at with their revenue? So your billing system really should be identifying AR days, and that's a good place to start. Um, you really want to see, um, you know, with AR days, you really can't see a lot with just looking at that from, you know, there's there's quite a bit, a lot of reports that you could run just, you know, what where your AR days is pulling from in your system. So if you've got low AR days, I mean, that's that's great. You know, that that's wonderful. But if you start to see it start to go up, then, you know, hey. You know, I, let me look at my aging. What's going on there? Am I not getting as uh, reimbursed as high as I should be or as how much I'm expecting to be? So, you know, really 
looking at the AR days, that's probably going to be your place to start of, you know, what you need to do and what you need to do for the day as far as what you need to um, focus on. Do you think it's important for groups to know when uh, payments are supposed to come in? I know when I was working as a revenue cycle director, I had my team track when, you know, United Healthcare paid, Cigna paid, Blue Cross Blue Shield paid, uh, just because, you know, Back then, we were dealing with multiple methods of payments. We were looking at virtual credit cards. We were looking at mm -hmm. ACHs. We were looking at paper checks. And we needed to be able to kind of track when we were expecting money to come in the door just to kind of manage our cash flow. Is that something that groups still have to worry about today? Yes, definitely. I mean, you pretty much got an idea. So Blue Cross, if those who have been in, you know, this field for quite a while, Blue Cross Blue Shield is probably one of the quickest payers. So you know that if you, as long as you've got a clean claim, Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, they're, they're going to be quick to pay out their claims. But you do want to know, you know, uh, kind of keep track of what your payers are paying and, you know, how long out that they pay. Um, you know, there's some payers that are required that they have to process and pay the claim within 30 days. Um, so, you know, you can keep track of that. If you start to see that your payer is starting to get behind, then you need, that's a variance right there. That's, that's a trend. You need to see what's going on there. Is there something that you're doing wrong whenever you're sending out the claim that's causing that payer to not pay you as quickly as you thought that they would pay you? So that, those are all, you know, one of the biggest things that I do all day is check for variances and, and trends. And that's how I'm able to keep a, a good handle on our AR. The you know, we've talked so much about the insurance company's responsibility with the healthcare revenue cycle. Does the patient have responsibility when it comes to making sure that the revenue cycle is effective? Absolutely. Um, they need to make sure that they have their, you know, insurance is completely updated and they're giving you accurate information. They need to work with the revenue cycle. They need to be able, um, if we give them a call and say, hey, you know, this and you have two insurances and this one's saying they're primary, but this one's saying they're primary and they don't even know about that you have secondary insurance. So you need to, you know, uh, communicate with the patient that they need to update their COB. Um, if they if insurance is requiring accident details, you know, that's something the patient needs to do because it's usually a form that the payer has and they'll send it to the patient. Usually, you know, they'll mail it to them, say, hey, fill this out and we'll pay your claim. So, I mean, the patient is really just as responsible as revenue cycle to make sure their claim gets paid because they need to be able to work with revenue cycle in case there is any inf uh, miss missing information in order to get that claim paid. I know a lot of groups, um, especially in the emergency medicine realm, are non-par with insurance carriers. And because they're non-par, they really, there's no legal responsibility for them to have to submit those claims for the patient. They actually do it as a courtesy to those patients. And I think I think sometimes that gets kind of lost in the shuffle where people automatically assume, well, hey, I saw you, you um, took care of me, I gave you my insurance information, it's now your responsibility. And there's a big disconnect that even though you gave the financial information or you gave whatever information you had, you're ultimately the one who's still responsible for that healthcare bill. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's another reason that providers out there, um, they need to make sure that they're maintaining a good relationship with their, pay their patients, because as soon as they leave those doors, you, you know, your chances of getting a hold of that patient go down. 
So while they're there in front of you, you need to make sure double check the information, you know, uh, with that patient say, hey, is all this information correct? Has anything changed? Do you still live at this address? You know, you need to make sure you have the most updated information from your patient um, and also maintain a good relationship with that patient. You know, if you aren't very, you know, if you don't have the best bedside manner or you're not, you don't have the best people skills, you know, with your patients, they're not going to be very apt to help you. It's interesting that, that you say that, you know, working in this industry for long periods of time, I know I've taken phone calls. You've taken phone calls where angry patients call us and say, I never knew this is how much my physician service bill was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of states are now required, and I think it might actually be on a federal level as well, to mm-hmm. make sure that you post your prices or you educate your patients as to what their medical bill is going to be as part of the No Surprise Act. Mm-hmm. Are you finding any challenges in the revenue cycle arena, uh, making sure that patients are aware of how much their bills are going to cost? If anything, it's gotten a little bit easier because now patients are actually getting online. Now that they know about the price transparency, they are getting online, um, uh, you know, before they go to that provider. And some of them are doing their, you know, their research before they're even seen. And so they know, you know, what to expect whenever they go in there. Um, I, I think that that issue has actually or that problem has actually gone down since, you know, the price transparency came out. Because, you know, people want to know, you know, what they're going to have to spend their money on and how much they're going to have to pay once their insurance is processed. So um, I think that's actually probably um, gotten a little bit better. Yeah. Um, You know, as we as we look at the big picture of healthcare revenue cycle and we look at some of the challenges that groups are facing now with higher balances that they're carrying on their age to AR. When should groups realistically start to follow up on claims where they haven't received a payment? Um, I'm going to say probably after 30 days, really. I mean, that's when you should probably be taking a look at those claims and seeing what's going on. I know I've been a part of organizations where they'll, they'll wait 45 days to, you know, to see what's going on. But if you really want to get, you know, um, ahead of everything, I would start just taking a peek at, at like 30 days, see what's going on. Um, you know, payers, they, you know, especially the low, the lower claims, they do want to hurry up and pay those and get them out the door, you know, get them off the books. Um, and, you know, but it's been a, a been like this across, you know, as long as I've been in revenue cycle, where for the higher dollar claims, they're going to be requesting medical records, or they're going to be requesting something else. Um, So that's pretty much that hasn't changed where they are going to take a little while to get to get you paid. But um, I would just, yeah, 30 days is a good is a good marker, I believe, to start looking at these claims. So when you get to 90 days, it's almost kind of too late, right? Yes, because, you know, some of these payers, they're like past timely um, to, you know, send in your appeals. Um, that's why you have to stay up on these claims. I mean, I think having to adjust a claim to timely, whether it's, you know, you didn't bill it out timely or you missed appeal deadline. That's probably one of the worst ones, the worst adjustments um, that I hate doing is because we had the chance to send it timely and we just didn't. So that's just completely 
on us when we have to do something like that. It's a, it's such a, a simple fix to make sure that you're sending out everything timely. Um, but, uh, you know, and it hurt, it helps your ARs if you're staying up on these as well. And, you know, if um, the higher dollar claims, you already know that, especially Blue Cross Blue Shield, if you ever bill out a level four or level five, they're, they're going to want medical records. So yeah. that's something you can, you can actually program in your system, depending on which one you have, that if you, you know, have a level four or five, you can do a charge router and send it to a work queue for someone to send out medical records along with that claim. And it'll, you know, get the claim process a lot faster than if you wait for them to say, Hey, we need medical records before we, you know, approve or deny this. Um, but yeah, you just you need to make sure you're staying on top of those timely filing ones. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. You know, there's so many people that first and foremost, don't pay attention to that patient registration process because they don't realize that that's actually part of revenue cycle. But then the other pieces is I think they forget that you can't just keep rebilling claims if you don't right. get a payment. You just can't keep rebilling because then the insurance carrier gets it and they will start to deny it for duplicate. Mm -hmm. When And then when you get duplicate, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've been paid for any of them. It just means that they've received it multiple times in-house. And so instead of just hitting the rebuild button, you really do need to have an AR staff that is competent enough to get on the portals, figure out what's going on, to make the phone calls to the insurance carriers to find out, hey, why did this not happen? And then I think the other piece that groups tend to forget, and you might agree or disagree with me, is the clearinghouse edits. If your claim doesn't actually pass through the clearinghouse and you're not checking those edits every day, you're not going to know what is being pushed through to the insurance carrier and what is something that you have to fix internally. Yes, definitely. And that's, you know, where your revenue integrity uh, folks come in. They need to make sure that they're checking those edits and getting them and, and how to, you know, fix them. If they get a rejection, they need to know how you know, how to fix that claim to get it out the door. Because then if you have no idea what to do and nobody knows how to fix it, then it just sits there and now you've got a timely issue. Um, but yes, uh, with the rebuild, it can also raise some flags and you definitely don't want to, you know, have your payer audit you because you've got, you know, 500 rebuild claims that, you know, they've denied for duplicates. Yeah. So in closing, Sonia, do you have any final thoughts to share with the, the listeners on what you need to do to maintain that healthy revenue cycle in today's world? Um, once again, staying up with your payer updates and your changes. Um, always look for trends in your AR. You know, don't be afraid to run a couple reports. Even if you come up with the same answer, just try to, you know, look for different things. Um, identify the strengths in your team. You know, if someone has um, a lot of experience working with Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, have them work those high dollar claims. Um, if you have an appeal specialist, that's great. You know, get them in there and help the, help the other team. If, you know, they're not very comfortable doing appeals, um, cross training, you know, you, you want your team to, you kind of want people to have a little bit of everything, you know, when it comes to revenue cycle, just have a little knowledge so they can jump in and, and assist anywhere they're needed. Um, for anybody in management, you know, probably one of the biggest um, bits of advice I can tell you, because I'm guilty of it as well as, don't try to do everything yourself, you know, delegate to your team, 
Um, use, like I said, use your strong, your teammates. Um, they can help you. They can get you out of that rut if you feel that you're drowning. Um, you know, I'm one of those that, oh, let me just do it myself because I feel like, you know, I can do it the way it needs to. But, you know, it's, it's, I, but I've learned to, you know, let the reins go a little bit and, you know, use my team. That's what they're there for. We're all on the same team, which we've got the common goal, you know, to get it done. So that's probably one of be my biggest advice is don't take everything on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts around um, healthcare revenue cycle. We greatly appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you everyone for listening. We hope you can join us for the next Thursday talk.